have your Bibles, join me in John chapter 14. In John 14, as we come and we look at the Word of God, I want us to look in light of all that's going on around us at what Scripture says in regard to times of storm in our life. Now, there are those that right now think that this virus is basically going to be the end of mankind. You're probably not on that extreme. There are others who think that this virus is nothing more than a giant conspiracy theory. You're probably not on that extreme either. All of us are living somewhere in the middle, and we have different views of what all is going to take place during the next weeks and months in not just America, but in the world. But regardless, you have to admit that in my lifetime, I've asked my parents who are 77, I have asked another individual in our church who is 89, and I have not had anyone say to me in my lifetime, I have seen something like this before. Everyone has said, I've never seen anything like this. And so as we live in an uncertain time, there's a lot of questions that are going on. Without a doubt, the economy will be dramatically affected. Hospitals are already becoming overwhelmed. And who knows what's going to be taking place in the next couple of weeks. Lord willing, there will be a calm. The measures that have put into place will cause the virus to begin to go backwards, and we will see life return to normal in just a matter of weeks. If this continues on for an extended period of time, we'll certainly keep you updated on what we're doing here at the church. But fear will continue to build inside of our lives. When Christ came to the end of his earthly ministry, when he came to the time in which he knew he would be leaving the world, he knew that his absence would cause, especially in the lives of his disciples, who had spent years with him, it would cause an extreme unrest. And not just in his life, but in the li- or their lives, but in the lives of the hundreds and even thousands who had seen the ministry of Christ. There were many who thought he was the Messiah, and even there at his death, didn't understand what was going on. Many came back around to understand that that was the completion of his saving work here on earth. But as Christ comes to the end of his life, he gives an exhortation here in John 14. I want us to take just a minute to look at that this morning. John 14, beginning in verse 1, we see an encouragement about the fact that the Lord was leaving, but he would come again. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, you you just pause there, and you have to recognize, regardless of where you're at today on your spectrum with the coronavirus, There's a lot of trouble in the hearts of people around the world today. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We start there. And the Lord says, look, in this time when I'm going away, there's going to be fear that's going to come in. But what I want you to understand is this fear, and the Lord did not minimize the fear. He said, but in the fear, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be agitated. Don't let it be stirred. Have a calm in knowing that just because I'm not physically present with you anymore does not mean that I'm not working on your behalf. I'm preparing a place, and I will come again. You will be with me one day. But continue on, and we'll move to later in the passage now. Join me in verse 26. But the comforter, just right there, that ought to bring about a calm instantly. 
we use the phrase comforter in one specific area in our lives on a regular basis. Now, when I was a single adult, a comforter was not something I was really worried with. You know, for me, my bed was to be as easily made as possible. I wanted basically to pull one sheet up and be done, and, that, and I had one pillow, one sheet, and I was good. Then I got married, and then life got complicated. And then now there are 87 pillows on the bed, and you can't lay on any of them, but there's 87 pillows on the bed, and then you've got the sheet, and then you've got the giant comforter that comes up, and it has to be folded a certain way, and it has to be pulled to a certain, and there can't be any wrinkles in it, and you got to get all the pillows right, and, and it takes as long to get into bed now as I get to sleep, I feel like, and so I go through this whole process of getting everything off, and then you crawl in. Well, we have a comforter in our house now that, and Kara goes through these about every couple years. Now, it's not as bad as it used to be. That's not fair. When we first got married, it seemed like every six months we got a different one. But now they they do last quite a bit longer. And and we've got this comforter now, and the thing weighs about 800 pounds. I mean, this thing is massive. And it's one of those, it is so big that you're like, what in the world? We live in Georgia, not Alaska. What do we need this thing for? But every now and then, it'll get just cold. And I'm cheap, so I don't like to run the heat. I recognize that. It'll get just cold enough that I'll actually want that comforter. And when I reach and I grab that thing and I pull it over, if I can pull it, and I pull that big old thing over on top of me, and when it finally, your body kind of adjusts to having a load of bricks sitting on top of you, and it surrounds you and the warmth encompasses you, it's very much comforting. But the comforter, the Holy Spirit who will come, who can bring and just come over you and lay and just make it right. But when the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And then verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In uncertain times, it is easy for our hearts to be troubled. And the world is trying at every turn to give peace. There are press conferences every day. Political figures are standing up. Doctors are walking to the microphone. Announcements are being made about new tests and, and people who are recovering and all of these things. And there's a, a peace that the world's trying to give. The Lord says, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. There is a peace that you and I can have in our lives from God, in the midst of all the turmoil that's going on in the world. This is not a peace that causes us to be naive about the conditions. This is not a peace that says, well, I don't have to worry about that. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a peace that says, though I recognize the reality of the danger going on around me, I don't have to live in a state of panic because my heart does not have to be troubled. So today, I want to encourage you in this. Look at what's going on, not just in the world, but more specifically in your own heart. 
and bring to your heart that peace that the Lord gives. Now, in Scripture, there are many examples of those who have gone through distress, who have gone through turmoil, and as a result of it, God gave peace in it. One individual that you look at in Scripture who so much of his life is recorded for us and so much of the turmoil that he goes through is recorded for us is David. As David is a young man, he starts off his life as the young child. So he's got all these older brothers, so you know if you were the youngest brother that, that there was some turmoil that you went through in life. But, but David early on gets recognized that he has a purpose for God. He goes and he fights Goliath and his fame begins to grow. But in the years that would follow, David goes through a tremendous amount. Saul becomes jealous of David, tries to kill him on multiple occasions, chases him throughout the wilderness for months and even years, has opportunities to see and capture David, he thinks, and the Lord always delivers him. As David goes along, there comes a point during that time that we're going to look at in just a minute in which he has run from Saul and has pushed him to Ziklag and great trouble ensues. But just because he becomes king, his trouble does not go away. David then has a curse that he brings on his own nation that he has to deal with. He has a son who dies because of his adultery. He has another son who dies because that son raped his half-sister and the son's brother killed him. The same one who killed his brother then tries to run David off the throne, runs him out of town, tries to become king. He gets killed, and David's grief is evident again. The distress of David's life is everywhere. But we see how David handles it in 1 Samuel 30. So if you can, join me over in 1 Samuel 30. As we look at simply this morning, how do we as Christians deal with trouble? What is it that we and our hearts are going to do in dealing with the trouble that is around us, whether this situation right now is troubling you or whether it's something completely different in your life that is bringing that angst? In 1 Samuel 30, we see how David now has had to run and he's living in Ziklag. There in Ziklag, he actually has kind of ended up with a group of disgruntled individuals who have been run off from other areas of life, and they begin to follow him. David's leadership and the Lord's blessing in his life shows through as these individuals begin to work, battle, and fight for David. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. So David and his men have kind of set up camp. They've gone off to fight. As they go off to battle, the Amalekites come into the city where all of the soldiers are now gone. So women, mothers, children are left behind, and all of the men are fighting the war. After the battle, they come back, and when they return to Ziklag now, the city has been set on fire and everybody's gone. Well, I'll have to tell you what that would do to your heart as you're coming back from battle. And David's involved in this as well. David's family is gone. Look at verse 2. And they had taken the women captives and were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold... It was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. These are mighty men. 
These are men who had just fought a great physical hand-to-hand combat kind of battle. These are men who were used to war. And they come back and their families are gone. And they're heartbroken. And they begin to weep. And they cry at such a level to the Bible says they they had no more strength. It was gone. And Excuse me, verse 5. And David's two wives were taken captive. And the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the wife of Nabal. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. The people are so upset. They are so angry. They are so broken. And so is David. What David's going through is the same thing that everybody else is going through. But David has to go through one more thing. Now all of the people blame David for what's happened. David is now carrying the weight of his own loss and the weight of everyone else's. That burden. I have said there are things that are worse than dying. And when you go through life, you learn to recognize that there are things that you can do in your life that would perhaps cause the death of someone else. And the weight of living with that can be far worse than the weight of dying. That's where David's at. David is now carrying this unbelievable weight. And the people are beginning to rally. They're beginning to murmur. And they're wanting to stone him. And there, at the end of verse 6, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In the midst of unbelievable stress and pressure, David's answer was, look, I I need to get away from you, and I need to get to God. And David just pauses and encourages himself in the Lord. This happened often throughout David's life. And David, what's so wonderful about David's life is we see the events of his life unfold like a story throughout 1st, 2nd Samuel. And as we see his life unfold, we then can go to the Psalms where David himself wrote the Psalms and they reveal what his heart was going through during those times. Different Psalms are written that record different events and at different points. I want us to go and look at Psalm 63. In Psalm 63, we see one of these. Now, this is not specifically here to Ziklag, but this is just how David's heart worked in the midst of these times of great pressure and stress on his life. If you look at the heading to Psalm 63, this is not verse 1, this is the little heading there. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So one of these times when David's running and fleeing for his life, The pressure comes on him again, just like it was here at Ziklag, and we see how he handles it. Look at verse 1. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. 
My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be the portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. David recognizes in this place, in this time, as he has gone and he has strengthened himself in the Lord, that the way to do it, the way to deal with all of this is to come before God and to begin by just seeking the Lord. Sometimes, tragedies in life, sometimes circumstances of life, drive us to a place to where there's an unintended benefit. You know that there are unintended consequences in life to decisions we make. There are also unintended benefits. I don't think that having two weeks in which families are asked to stay home and spend time together is all bad. It was interesting. Yesterday, when I got home from our workday, we took the kids and just went on a walk through our neighborhood. It's not a big walk. It's probably a little less than a mile to make the loop through our neighborhood. And so we got out, and we got the stroller out, and put the two car seats in there, and the kids had their scooters, about half of it. Then the other half, they were in the stroller as well, and they're running. And so we begin to go through the neighborhood. And as we're going... There were more kids out in our neighborhood yesterday playing in front of their houses with their parents sitting out there with them than I have ever seen. I don't know that that's a bad thing. For some, because of what's taking place, you may be working from home this week. And as a result, there's a two-hour commute you don't have anymore. Man, that's an unintended benefit. There's now two hours that you can spend with your family and as a family to come together and to seek the Lord together. Men are trying to take David's life. And David goes, you know what? I I, got to get away from you for a minute. I got to get over here and I got to come to God. And Psalm 63 says, my soul, it longeth after you. The pressure of the environment, the pressure of the bad, the evil, had pushed him to say, God, I just see how much more I need you. The coronavirus ought to help all of us be mindful of the frailty of life. And go beyond that. It ought to help us all understand the frailty of the economy. It ought to help us understand the frailty of a nation, the frailty of our world. And we put our satisfaction, our strength, our dependence in all of these things that a little microscopic organism is destroying. Retirement funds have been rolled back five years for many people. All because of a little dot you can't notice. And we think we're so big. We think we're so powerful. And David says, in that moment... I recognize my strength is gone. God, your strength is complete. And so one of the unintended benefits is right now we have a little bit more time to seek the Lord, to to recognize that there is a need. David said clearly here in verse 1, God, thou art my God, early will I seek you. This is going to become a matter of something that's going to be important to me because right now you may have a little extra time. Now, if you're like me and you have kids in the house, 
For us, our kids are always in the house, so it's not necessarily that different for us. Though I, I know for some, all of a sudden now your kids are in the house all day and you're not used to them being there all the time. And you're going, more time? Are you kidding me? I don't have any time. You have to take and set aside that time and say, Lord, I'm going to seek you. This is important. This is what we need most right now. And as a country, to come together and to seek the Lord would do us so much good. Today, there was a foundation that came out and said, look, I'm asking churches all across America to make today a day of prayer for our nation. And in just a little bit, as we finish up, we're going to take a little time, and we're going to be praying specifically for our nation and for COVID-19 as it's sweeping across. But more than that, I'm concerned about the souls of men. And I'm looking at this and saying, God, are you using this to draw us back to you? People have said, and you may have heard this or someone say about it, if you think this is something, can you imagine what it's going to be like when the rapture takes place? I mean, you want to talk about the world in turmoil. I don't plan on being here, so y'all have to let me know what it's like. But, but when it takes place, it's going to be a situation in which people are going, what happened? It, it, it wouldn't you rather use this to help people understand that than when it is too late? Amen. Because after the rapture, there's not going to be someone we can tell about it because we'll be gone. But there is a time right now in which we ought to be seeking the Lord. We ought to be going after Him. And in seeking the Lord when we come to Him, when we come before God, I promise you, and I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, you're not going to find the answers. You're not going to find the answer as to why this virus has taken over the world. There's not an answer. Well, it all has to do with some soup and a bat in some country. and That's not an answer. There's not an answer apart from God and his infinite has allowed and Satan and his complete evil has sought to destroy. And you and I, we come before the Lord and we seek him. But we don't seek him as I want the answer to this. We seek him as God, I just want you in this. And one of the great ways of doing that, as we see here in David, is by beginning to lift him up. Look in verse 3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness. Now, that's just great, okay? So if you're not a good old southern boy, you don't understand this. When it says morrow and fatness, everybody eats healthy nowadays, you know, and somebody was saying something about why in all of this is all the hot dogs gone and none of the fruit is gone from the grocery stores. I'm like, well, isn't that obvious? Do you even have to ask that question? But hot dogs will survive a nuclear holocaust. Fruit won't make it to Wednesday. I mean, this is simple. But morrow and fatness, the idea... I had a cow that we had processed, you know, so we raised this cow up. He got big. We sent it to the butcher. Butcher cut him up, put him in the freezer. And in the getting of stuff, you get your steaks, your hamburger. That's all good. You know, those are things you expect. The cow tongue, I wasn't really expecting that. So just to say that he just doesn't know. No, I'm just kidding, bud. And, and so there, there were things in there. But there was just this, this big wrapped section of bone. And I'm going... What in the world? Now, 
I look at it and I don't really completely understand this. At the time, we're in the middle of the country. And in the middle of the country, they had no problem understanding that. My mom and dad come to town who were raised in Alabama and they come and they, they have no problem understanding this. And I'm going, why did they give me a bone? And the answer is because you take that and you put it in a big old pot of stew and you let the marrow and the fatness from that bone fill that stew with flavor. Now, I will admit I am not that patient of a cook, nor am I that good of a cook, but mama, she likes that kind of stuff. And you take that and you put that or you take some big old fat and you throw it into a thing of beans and you let that cook for a good, you know, 14 hours or so. And most of you are going, what are you talking about? Some of you understand what I'm talking about here. That's good eating. And there is a a taste quality and fat from meat that is far better than anything you're getting at the vegan store. Okay, I'm just telling you. David says, look, God. I will be filled with you in a way that the healthy stuff can't do. (laughs) I will be filled with you in a way that is unbelievably satisfying. That the taste of is so good. And David says, look, I'm going to seek you. And in seeking you, Lord, I am going to praise you and I am going to praise to you. And as I pray and as I praise God, there will be a satisfying of my soul that nothing else can accomplish. Because that's how good you are, Lord. No cure to any disease will satisfy the soul. You have to understand that. We think that the greatest need we have right now is a vaccine. It's not the greatest need. The greatest need we have right now is the satisfying of our soul in God. And therefore, at this time, I don't know if that's what God's doing. I don't know if he's using this to pull us back to him. But David said, look, I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. And I'm going to do it by seeking God, by praising Him, because in Him is the only satisfaction I can ever find. If David takes these troops and he goes, which he does, and he goes and he conquers the Amalekites and he brings back all of the families, will the souls of those men be satisfied? And the answer is no. But when they come to the Lord... And they seek the Lord. And David says, God, I will be satisfied in you regardless. When the deliverance comes now, there is satisfaction. But the satisfaction is heightened because now the satisfaction comes from the Lord. But David continues, you seek the Lord. You give praise to the Lord. And then verse 6, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. It's such a great picture. David says, look, Lord, I'm going to meditate on you. Whether you realize it or not, you meditate regularly. You take things, you get them in your mind, and you think on them, and you chew on them. Sometimes it's the traffic sitting in front of you. Right now... If you turn your TV on, it is COVID-19. And it's being pushed, and you're thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and you're, you're meditating on it. And David says, right now, God, I need to meditate on you. And when he did, 
the picture that he gets, God, at night when I try to sleep, I'm not going to worry about this stuff. I'm going to meditate on you. Is the picture of a bird who takes her wings and takes her little ones and pulls them in and covers them with her wings and brings them into a place of comfort. So just like a comforter, just like the comforter, David says, Lord, I recognize when I meditate on you, it just brings comfort. So when David struggles, when David goes through life and he feels the pressure of all that's going on around him, he says, God, what I want is I just want to meditate on you. Because in meditating on you, there is comfort. Honestly, I, I didn't put these things together, though I, I really should have more quickly in my own mind. We do podcasts, and they go out, Message in a Minute podcasts, and we record those. And so I've got several of them posted already that you won't hear until the day that they pop up. But I caught myself that I had a trend of just talking about how big God is in, in several in a row. Not thinking about it, not planning it that way. And part of it is just during this time, as I've been meditating on the Lord, he just keeps getting bigger. And problems keep getting smaller. And it doesn't mean, please don't think I'm undermining the severity of the condition. But God's awfully big. And when you begin to meditate and make him big, it just kind of comes out. And it was not my intention. It just keeps coming out. When we meditate on the Lord, we trust in the Lord. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. I know that there are those that seek me, but the king shall rejoice in God. David said, look, I am meditating on you because, Lord, I am trusting in you. You are my hope. You are the one. You are my deliverer. You are my strength. You will push away any enemy. You will make sure that your name is great. So, Lord, I trust in you. It didn't take away the problems of David's life, but it changed the focus of his life. And when you look, Psalm 3 is another example, and throughout David's psalms as he writes these, there's always a trust. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I just believe you're the one. Trust the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not to thine own understandings. We as believers come to a place where we say, God, I don't understand, but I trust, and that's okay. And David said, God, I'm just going to trust in you. And then I encourage you, just in one other area in this, David back in 1 Samuel, he then goes and he encourages the other men. And they go and they fight. In times like this, we should be encouraging others and we should be getting encouraged by others. It, it should be a mutual process of encouragement. It's part of what we do as believers. Now, look, in this, one of the dangers is as a church... Part of our job is to encourage each other. And when you can't meet together, it can limit your ability to encourage each other. We live in a day and age in which there is the ability to have a huge amount of encouragement and communication without having to be together. So look, don't let that slip away. If ever there were a time in which we need to spend more time reaching out to people, now is the time. For some, you will be very busy over the next few days, and your life really won't change all that much. For others, this will be a dramatic time of change in their lives over the next couple weeks. And there will be some isolation, and that isolation will create a tremendous need for outside encouragement. And generally speaking, those that are in that isolation, 
they don't reach out looking for it. So make sure that you go and you look for those who can use encouragement. And then, as a result of that, look to find encouragement from others. You may have a little more time with your family to spend around the Lord. Focus on praising together to encourage one another. Reach out to those around you who you know are encouraging and allow them to pour into your life. And then in turn, you pour into others' lives. But David always recognized, and David records in the Psalms, he writes these songs so that they can be an encouragement now to us millennia later. And oh, how we ought to do it. As David sought to be strengthened in the Lord, we understand that to be strengthened in the Lord is not to become strong, but it is to allow God to show his strength. Strength in the Lord is not becoming strong. It is showing the strength of the Lord. And so when we come and we look to God and we say, God, I want to be strong in you, it's not that God necessarily gives us a strength. It's our reliance becomes on him and we allow him to show himself strong. This morning, I I don't know where you're at. You may be at home right now and you may be just saying, you know what, This, this really does concern me. It may be that you're saying right now in your heart, I know there's a lot going on. I don't know where this is going to lead. None of us do. But what we do know is that in this time, our heart does not have to be troubled. We can come before God, and the Comforter can bring a peace in our lives as we seek to be strengthened in Him.